This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. Hey, Reed, look, it's uh, Dr. Mark Westfall. We hang out with Dr. Mark once a month, always really informative segments. You can find them after the fact, wherever you find podcasts under the name Let's Think On It. Tonight, we're talking about Parkinson's, which we is are. something I have to tell you, I just don't know much about. Well, you're a perfect audience then. Absolutely. So tell me, what, well, uh, what all are we going to get into? Well, let me ask you this. What do you know about it? Either of you. Well, um, you think of uh, Michael J. Fox. Yeah, tremors. Okay. I mean, I think of like tremors and um, speech, like stuttering. Uh, and I want to hmm. say, um, I'm also thinking, oh, oh, yeah, about deep brain stimulation, which I think you and I have talked about mm-hmm. briefly yeah. before. Yeah, that's a treatment, right? Yeah. So I think those are primarily the things that come to mind okay. when I think of Parkinson's. Right. So Parkinson's is a disorder of movement. Right. right. So you see Michael J. Fox, and he has odd movements. Mm-hmm. And um, primarily, Parkinson's is, is a disorder of hypo movements, low. Hypo, we use, uh, hypo is low, hyper is high. Right. Kinetic is movement. So we call it hypokinetic movements. Hmm. Now, a lot of people think, well, wait a minute, he moves around a lot. Well, it seems like he's moving more, not less. Right. right. But the primary symptoms of Parkinson's um, are tremor, which you see. Uh, would you described already um brady kinesia brady is slow so people with parkinson's have difficulty initiating movement mm. and they move very slowly mm-hmm. they're they're very stiff when they move they have a a um, diminished facial expression so the muscles of their face don't move much they often have diminished eye blinking so their eyes don't blink as frequently um, they have kind of a stare um, so it's really a disorder of hypo movement, the tremor, and then you also can get rigidity. So if mm. you were to take their arm in your hand and, and move their arm, they're not moving it, you're moving it, there's often a rigidness to it. There's a resistance. The muscles are, are overly tonic and and slow to move. Okay. Now, when we think about, uh, for example, the film with, uh, was it De Niro is an awakening, awakening? It was Robin Williams. Robin Williams, but I think wasn't the patient. Oh, the patient was De Niro. Yeah. You're right, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. that Parkinson's? Great question. Those were Parkinson's-like symptoms. They okay. were locked in. And those patients uh, that he was treating, that's Oliver Sacks. He's yes. a world-renowned neurologist in that movie. Who was, just recently died. He did recently year, die. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. So this was in the 40s and 50s, I believe. So in the 1920s, there was a epidemic of what they call um, encephalitis lethargica, mm. and it essentially mimicked the locked-in syndrome that you can sometimes get with Parkinson's, and these patients would sit, would be essentially unable to move. Yeah. And he t- began treating them with the same medication we use for Parkinson's now, yeah. dopamine, and they began moving again. That He brought them out of this locked-in state. It was a, it was a muscular movement. We're not quite sure what happened. There was 500,000 people worldwide that developed this encephalitis lethargica. And they think it was viral. They're not quite sure. They hadn't been replicated again. Um, But, yeah, so it's very much like that. So it's a locked-in kind of hypoactive set of symptoms. And let me – and I've got a guest tonight who Mm -hmm. uh, who has, has, uh, has Parkinson's disease. 
he's a physician, so he also understands the body. He can really communicate mm-hmm. to us kind of from that perspective. And his wife is with us as well. And so we're going to bring them on in just a minute. I want to discuss a little bit about movement as we talk to him and as we talk about treatments, if the average listener can understand how the body moves. And so it's going to be just a brief neuroanatomy lecture. Okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. So you got a, a cell at the top of your brain. It's called the motor neuron. That cell goes down to your spinal cord. One cell. One, very I was long about to cell. Say, one cell. One cell. Very long. From the brain to your spinal cord. It stops at whatever segment it's going to exit. So like if it's your arms, it stops in the cervical or thoracic area. And it communicates to another cell in your spinal cord that goes to the muscle that you're trying to move. Two cells. Two cells is all it takes to move a muscle. I, of course, know the answer to this, but um, for our listeners. Of course. Are you, you're saying a cell travels from the top, or it's, it, it is it so is, long? It has such a long arm. Are you serious? Yes. Huh. I knew that. I've got it a, has a long, it's yeah. a very long cell. Two cells. Yeah. To the tip of your toe, to the top of your head, there's two cells that connect your toe movement to your brain telling your toe to move. What? Yep. This That's is, right. This has changed everything I thought I understood about yeah, people. So in order to... <laughs> it is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So in order to move, though, so if I was to go in your brain and stimulate that cell, sure, that muscle would move. You couldn't do a thing about it. Not a thing you could do about it. Yeah. But for you to tell that cell to stimulate, there's other associated cells around it that tell it to move. Huh. Those associated cells or neurons are also in the cortex, the outer part of your brain, but they loop down into the middle of the brain and talk to a number of other different cells that regulate the movement, and then it goes and tells that top motor neuron to go. Huh. Once it gets a signal, it's moving. Okay. But that regulatory center in the middle of the brain is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Not the top cell, not right. the one in the, in, the, in the spinal cord, but the congregation of cells in the middle of the brain that regulate that pre-action nerve uh, Communication, and that's where the problem lies. And that's where the problem lies okay. with Parkinson's, and How we know exactly that? we know exactly where the problem is. I mean, to the head of a pin, you can stick it in the place where Parkinson's occurs, but hard to fix, nonetheless. Hard to fix, but we're going to talk about some okay. of the fixes. So All that's right. that's the overall view of movement, and then we'll, we'll, when we come back, we'll have our guest on, and we'll talk Great. about his experience, her and his wife's experience, and then some of the treatments. Um, looking forward to it. Again, it is Parkinson's Awareness Month. I think Tuesday was Parkinson's Awareness Day. And in fact, Jeff Cook from the band Alabama announced that he is struggling with Parkinson's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that was, sorry, a long teaser there. That was a very I long tease. I mentioned that like an hour ago on the show. That's that as good. long like, as that motor book. neuron cell it's that exactly. tease was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Feels like it for sure. Yeah. But now we're still hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall. We're talking about Parkinson's disease. We learned so much in that first segment. I yeah. mean, I mean that like, really? yeah, I had no idea about so much of that. The cell you know, stuff. I it, it took me a while to bring that down to that smaller level. I, I practice my wife to Will's level. You can no, say no, no, no. It. It, it's hard to condense something complex. And mm-hmm. I, I practice on my wife, and she wrote, and she's like, no, no, it's shorter, shorter. I'm like, man, it's hard to be brief. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's kind of long-winded. This is why we like having you on, though, because we do learn so much, and it's easy because we know so little. So um, anytime <laughs> you, you say anything, we think, oh, that's new to me. <laughs> it's good. 
You help my ego. So there you go. So we have uh, a guest, two guests. I have uh, Dr. Max Stinson and his wife, Annette Stinson. Welcome um, to the show. Welcome, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Close Thank to you. the microphone. Thank you. Um, and so, Mac, um, let's just start from the beginning. How old were you? You have Parkinson's disease. That's why I you're do. here. Yes, I do. I was 39 years old when I first had started having symptoms, and that was kind of young to have Parkinson's. You usually think of Parkinson's as an older person's disease, but there's a form of Parkinson's called young adult Parkinson's. Young on, onset. Young onset Parkinson's. And that's what I had. I was 39 years old, and the first thing I noticed... The first thing I noticed was that I was not able to bend my wrist back. And, and at certain times of the day I could, sometimes I couldn't. So I, I had limited movement of my wrist, and that caused quite a bit of anxiety because I didn't know what was wrong with my wrist. I knew something was wrong, and, and being a doctor, I knew all the worst-case scenarios, and so yeah. my mind was playing out all the things that I didn't want it to be, and that created a lot of anxiety. I would have, I mean, if that just happened to me, I would think like carpal tunnel or yeah. some kind of tendonitis or something, right? Well, and yeah. He had a surgery on his elbow to try to release, on that same arm to try to, because we thought maybe something needed to be released ah. in there, but it didn't. Yeah. In the process of trying yes. to diagnose yes. it. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Okay. Hmm. It took several years to actually get the diagnosis. I, I was, it was 2003, th about three years later before I really, uh, I had the diagnosis, and during that time, I was just kind of wondering what was wrong. I didn't know really what was wrong with my arm, and, and then it started progressing to become not just my arm, but my other uh, my other arm. And I was talking slower, and my I was losing facial expression. I was moving very slowly, and other people started noticing it. That, that's when it really got my attention. When other people commented on it, yeah. I thought I thought it's not in my head now. If other people notice it. You still seem relatively young. How long ago was that? Thirty when you were thirty-nine. Uh, I'm fifty-five now. Fifty-five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so before you were officially and finally diagnosed properly, had you known a lot about Parkinson's? I mean, that's not your area of expertise medically, right? Well, my area, of, my area especially is physical medicine and rehabilitation. So I, I had the opportunity to see patients with Parkinson's disease on a rehab yeah. setting. Except typically they were patients with end-stage Parkinson's disease and it had severe cases of Parkinson's disease and in my mind I, I, I was aware of the immobility and, and the lack right. of movements and, and, the, and the way of life that they had and, and I was I, I didn't I didn't really that, that made me afraid to think about sure that, yeah. that, that, that outcome yeah so what happens is in Parkinson's is you get a very gradual slow loss or death of neurons in a very small area of the brain called the substantia nigra and those neurons are responsible for helping regulate your movements. Right. And so they, it starts very gradually. And a lot of times people go undiagnosed for a while before they know what's going on. It's, yeah. it's very subtle and gradual. And, but, it's, but it's progressive. It tends to progress over time. And so the symptoms continue to add on top of each other. Um, and so, you know, Mac had some initial symptoms, but he wasn't quite sure what was going on. Even And doctors weren't sure quite sure what was going on um, we crossed paths sometime in the early 2000s yeah I noticed that one thing I noticed is that when I would get anxious or nervous my symptoms got worse yeah so my thought was well I have an anxiety disorder and so I thought anxiety was the primary problem and that's what I saw you for right uh, this was letting me see Dr. Westfall was for anxiety and I think you suggested that it may not be just just anxiety only but it may be something physical and that I didn't really want to hear that but right. that yeah. Was, yeah it that was, was you, you, yeah 
to me when I, I first met him in around 2001 yeah. or two, somewhere at the hospital, yeah. uh, not as a patient. Yeah. And I noticed his slowed movements. But some people have a slower blink and a slower kind of uh, movement, and that's just how they move. And I, I didn't know his baseline, but I noticed it then. And then when he came to see me, we talked about it, and I said, yeah, I think I think you need to see uh, a neurologist. Oh, so that was on. before the official right. diagnosis right. was made. Right. Okay, yeah, I yeah. got you, yeah. yeah. And I guess, so Parkinson's, with this being something that Will and I don't know a ton about, I guess every case is individual with regard to how quickly it progresses every and, case and the way is, it does? Every case is different. Right. No two people experience it in the same way. Uh, he didn't have a tremor. He he had muscle spasms that were very painful for him. Huh. And he, like his head would just yank back. It's hard. It's hard to describe on the sure, radio. Sure, yeah. it's a dystonic reaction. Yeah, okay. it's called dystonia. Contract. Yeah, dystonia. Okay. Um, just uncontrollably and yes, yeah. yes. And was that before medication or was that that was after? Even after he was diagnosed and on Parkinson's meds. Okay. It was before medication. It was before medication and after I started some medication. It really, yeah. it was a predominant symptom that I had all the way through until I had the deep brain stimulation. Right. So the difficulty in treating Parkinson's is, um, well, the first approach to treating Parkinson's is using a replacement for uh, the brain chemical that those cells are making they're using dopamine we've talked about dopamine for other areas sure but in this particular part of the brain this very tiny area dopamine regulates movement and so your dopamine cells are dying in that only in that area not in the rest of the brain just Hmm. in that small area and so we give dopamine and long story short uh, we have to give it in a different form to get in the brain and then it's converted to dopamine and that helps the cells that are still living to be more efficient at their job. We're, right. we're essentially helping them with more supplies, and so they can be more efficient at their job. And so what you see when the medicine's at the right level is you see a, a res- resolution of symptoms. Actually, that's one of the diagnostic approaches to Parkinson's is if, mm. if they don't respond to medic- medication, it might not be Parkinson's because right. it's so responsive to treatment. But the problem is regulating it. The dopamine medicine is a very short half-life, and so there's a... The patients go through a throughout the day a, a on and off effect of the medication. So when, when the medicine is not there, they're very slowed and stiff and difficulty moving. Then you give them the medication and they move through a period of having normal movements. But then if the blood if, if the blood level goes too high, you get the opposite of a hypokinetic problem. Right. You get hyperkinetic. And that's what a lot of people have seen on TV with Michael J. Fox. Sure. When he's writhing around and moving a lot, um, like when he's talking, uh-huh. that is not Parkinson's. That's excessive medication of Parkinson's. And so a lot of people think that Parkinson's is, is hyper movement, but it's actually not. It's, it's, it's lower movements. But you get some people get those real hyper movements when the blood level of the medicine goes too high. And it's a daily thing. Who have parts of the day where he's not moving? parts of the day where he's moving okay and parts of the day where he's moving excessively you know i think this what you just said speaks to me to the to the major misunderstanding about this because i have for years and years and years just assumed like oh when you see someone moving in that manner that's the parkinson right. it's yeah. the treatment that's, that's causing treatment. that there's actually another disease called huntington's career sure, yeah that is um, a problem with excessive dopamine and they have those movements that you see, the writhing around, yeah, all the time. And so the treatment for that 
is the opposite of dopamine. You block the dopamine receptors with a with an opposite kind of medicine. Here we hang out with Dr. Mark Westfall talking Parkinson's. Uh, we also have some guests here with us. Dr. Max Stinson joins us, his wife Annette as well. Uh, Dr. Stinson does have Parkinson, 16 years and suffering. And uh, man, we are just learning so much tonight. I know I no. am personally about this. So thank you guys all for being here. So where I thought we might go next is, um, you know, Parkinson's uh, obviously affects the physical abilities of the person who has it, but it, it also affects other parts of the brain and it also affects the, the family members of the person who has Parkinson's. So I, I thought we might move to some of that about the effects that the condition had on, on you as a couple and on moving through the, the, the treatment, the different options of treatment and whatnot that we had to go through and some of the side effects of the treatment you had that affect behavior and, and uh, affect the relationship. So sure, can you share some of that with us? Sure. Uh, I started taking, uh, well, first of all, the main treatment for Parkinson's is dopamine or the L-dopa, which is converted to dopamine. The problem is, is that over time that, that causes the hyper movements and so they, they, the, the thought process was trying some other medicine, so they came up with a dopamine agonist or a dopamine impersonator mm-hmm. medicine. And, and that, that medicine worked well. That was what I started on when I first was diagnosed, and it, it worked very well with regard to my symptoms. I felt kind of normal again. I felt like my movements were normal. I, I was walking and talking better, and, and I felt like things were starting to get normal. But there were some, some things I really wasn't aware of. My personality was changing, and my wife noticed it long before yeah. I did, and she could address that. But uh, so let's hear about that. How how did the personality change? Uh, his personality changed a lot. He's a pretty laid back person, uh, low key. Uh, when I I would go to the hospital and, and they would ask me if I was Doctor Stinson's wife, they would talk about how nice he is and uh-huh. what a nice and he normally is. But um, that medication caused some compulsive behaviors and. Um, and they were unpleasant to be around and he would be he would be really i think as the he would take more medicine throughout the day and as the day wore on he would become uh less fun to be around let's say um and he he could he would focus on something like he built a deck underneath our deck in our backyard he built a pond well he normally is a person who goes to bed at 10 and gets up at 6 and I would find him out there at 2 o'clock in the morning working on it he would get it fixed tear it apart and then redo it Uh, or he might uh, get upset with something one of our children did and and then he would just be compulsively talking about that and he was not very nice to be around at time. By the end of the day, I just wanted to be away from him. Isn't that interesting to think about? So you, you hear about Parkinson's, and that's a problem. Uh, and then we talked earlier about the um, you know anxiety for the patient. But a lot of times I think most people from the outside don't think about these ancillary kinds of issues um, with how, how tough and, and why that can be so tough on family members. Yeah, you, know, you don't think, think about that. I think it, it was tough, and because he had the, he had a lot of dystonia. The kids would see him uh, with his head cocked back where he couldn't move it, and yeah. we would have to try to fight against that and push his head forward to 
because he was it would be really tight and i it's think painful it, right it was very painful for him it's yes. like having a cramp yeah and i and i think that you know that was hard for the children uh, our oldest one was about 13 when he was diagnosed uh, and i think that it was difficult yeah for them to to see that and to hear i mean we thought yeah. by the end of the day during the morning we got along fine but uh, these are not the things that we expect in life when you're 38 years old and you don't foresee any of this happening that's that's a life changing event obviously in a lot of ways that are complicated and difficult yes yeah. It, it, yeah. it was very difficult no yeah. hmm. one of the um we've talked about dopamine before in the the pleasure center yeah do you remember that yeah well one of the side effects for some people with a medication um, is that they get this this overdrive of the pleasure center and they start seeking out pleasurable activities compulsively mm. so you'll get people who gamble and spend a lot of money who never had a, a gambling issue before is it like a manic state almost? Um, it's, it is. It's, I, it, it is. It, Absolutely. In symptoms it is, but in neurobiology right. it's not as much. Okay. That, that, I guess there is some, there's overlap. Yeah. Maybe to the lay person looking yeah, yeah, at yeah, it. I think there is. For, for yeah. me to look at it, it yeah. looked like yeah, mania. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it's more of a compulsive yearning for um, those um, pleasurable activities. I mean, they, get, uh, they can have a... Um, obsession with pornography or sexuality and, and it can really dramatically change their personality and it sometimes you know spells the end of relationships sure i mean i mean uh, there's there's uh we have two before us who who work through a lot of difficult times and and are here together yeah. but not every relationship can make it through this very difficult uh disease process there there were times that that was a consideration that, that i had not sure get how away. much longer you yeah. can handle. Yeah. yeah sure because you don't know how you know, it, it's, it, it seems like this is the way it's going to be forever. And it's a hard, it's a hard uh, life to live for both people. And that's kind of what I, well, I was really happy they were coming together and talking yeah. about it because it really affects the, the whole family unit. Mac, I'm kind of interested to hear from you about how this whole thing has changed the way you view yourself. Are you aware? Were you aware of those personality changes? How do you feel about yourself as a person now with a different challenge in life? I, I, at first, I was not aware of the changes. I, I thought that I was that I was normal. I felt normal on the inside psychologically. Yeah. But then I, I, I but then I, I guess it, it became because my wife reminded me of, of how how I was acting. I, I became more aware of that I was mm-hmm. doing things that were not really normal, not really appropriate, and uh, so, so I guess it just took a while for me to realize that. Yeah. When do you think it dawned on you as a couple? <laughs> in 2013, he had two surgeries. He had uh, deep brain stimulation yeah. surgery on both sides of the brain. And after the second one was turned on, um, it's a pretty long process. It's a three-week process. Okay. But um, after the second one was turned on, I would say six or seven weeks afterward, we were going somewhere in the car and he said to me Annette we haven't fought in a while and all I said was which one of us has changed his face turned white and he he all of a sudden realized that he had been crazy yeah after all these years after all, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah 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 and yeah. that and it took him not being on the, so much medicine to understand that to get was, some clarity yes, about that yes you know? 
when I was going through the process, when I was having all the symptoms, in my mind, I felt normal. I felt like right. I was right and, and that she was wrong. I felt like it was all her fault that yeah. we were arguing. And, and I couldn't see I couldn't see that I was doing anything wrong or abnormal. Everything I seemed to do was justified in my own mind. And the next morning, after the message kind of calmed down a little bit, then I would realize I was a jerk and I would apologize and, yeah. and try to make amends. I wanted to repeat this. We would we would have an argument at yeah. night, and I would tell him during the argument, "You're going to apologize to me in uh. the morning," and he would say, "I will not." And then he would wake up the next morning and apologize. Yeah, that's it was I just feel a like, predictable pattern. I feel yes. like that was just like the definition of marriage that we just heard right there. I feel like <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's we a saw lot of a lot of wives out there thinking, I, "My husband <laughs> could use a deep brain stimulator about, about right now." But you know what's <laughs> funny about this? We've talked a lot about a lot of terrifying things in this conversation. But I think the thing that we just talked about to me is one of the scariest. It's almost like the Dunning-Kruger kind of like you're not able to be aware of your own incompetence or what's going wrong. Like you said, here you were acting like a crazy person probably, but you weren't aware of that. To me, what I was doing seemed normal and and seemed logical and seemed to make sense. It made sense to work on that pond 14 times to try to get it just right and then not be able to not be able to get it right and tear it up and build it again. It just seemed like the right thing to do. That's a scary thing about brains. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. How about that? So the deep brain stimulator, just briefly, what that does is they insert a hair-like electrode. It's surgically implanted into the area um, around where this is occurring. Right. And they essentially turn it on, and what that does is it turns off the brake that's keeping you from being able to move. Mm-hmm. It turns off the surrounding neurons by hyperpolarizing them. And typically it's, you know, one side and then the other side. It depends on some people just have one side of symptoms for Parkinson's yeah. um, for, to start with. But um, so, uh, and then essentially they just have an, a, a, a remote control. They can increase the volume or decrease the volume of the electricity going through it and it can release the symptoms and but it's it's a constant ongoing process so it doesn't have the ebb and flow that medicines have um so does the person wear like a little unit like a battery pack so they've got just like a um well they can i have a a pacemaker type device implanted in my chest on both sides and wire going up to my brain from my go through my neck up to my brain and they have to fine tune and find the right frequency or volume level yeah the neurologist adjusts it when you go in right right Yeah. yeah takes a while to kind of get it just right and adjust it and there's a little bit of tweaking that goes on but but i've had very very good result from that how many years was it i've had it in 2013 so going on four years now. and still providing does that give you hope moving forward yeah i, I feel normal now I, I really feel like a normal person uh, now there's some things I, I had to i had to retire during this process i couldn't <coughs> before i had the surgery i, I was not able to practice any of my practice had to retire and 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 I, I miss that, but I've I've, I've actually started teaching, so yeah. I, I, so I'm doing something with my education and training, yeah. but in a different form. And being productive. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah that, that I needed to. Have, I, I I found myself not having purpose. And I didn't know. I felt that added to my kind of depression, and anxiety, was sure. not really having a purpose. You know, so I found uh, found teaching is a, is a good way to find fulfillment like that. No when, doubt. When you walked in, I didn't know either one of you, of course, didn't know you before, but just looking at you and then starting to interact, mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was Dr. Simpson or Annette who, who had, had the Parkinson's. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it doesn't seem to be any outward. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I feel very fortunate. I feel like I've had a very good result, and uh, I, I think I, I, I think the doctors did really did an excellent job on the surgery. 
So where are we now with Parkinson's? Um, as far as like moving forward, like the other day we had a, a kid on that has MS and talking about the research and how it's far right. it's come in the right. last 10 to 15 years. Um, where are we Parkinson's as far as in the lifespan of, of getting this thing under control? Well, we still don't understand, and Mac might can answer this better than me, but we still don't really understand why the cells are dying. Um, there is there's a small subgroup of the population um, that has a genetic inheritance, but it's a very small subgroup of the Parkinson's disease patients. Yeah. And so we think it's um, a combination of maybe something genetically going on, but largely also maybe something in the environment, something you're exposed to or... Uh, just like the virus caused it for the uh, encephalitis, encephalitis lethargica. It's hard for me to say. Um, it's hard so for anyone to say. Yeah, yeah, well, not just you. We, we think that's good. We just don't know the cause of it. So there's a lot of research into the treatment, and that's come a long way. That's where the deep brain stimulator has come. But to my, we just have a long way to go. There's about eight or nine genes that are associated with it. But, again, the genetic component is small. The good thing about knowing that there's a genetic component at all is that we might can study – what the genes are signaling signaling for in the cells mm. so we might learn more about the disease by understanding the genetics behind it even though some people don't have it genetically does that yeah. make sense yeah. so if we can understand really what's going on inside the cell that causes it to die then we might can help prevent it right. Matt, do you know any other uh, current research well i know one thing i'm encouraged by having parsons i feel like there's a lot of areas of research exploring different types of treatment and, and they've learned a lot just since i've had parkinson's i know there's certain cells in the brain that accumulate certain proteins that they can't get rid of the protein and that causes cell cells to die yeah. and they're looking at research to ways to eliminate that protein maybe using uh, immunotherapy using your body's antibodies against that mm-hmm. is one thing They've done some research that maybe relates to the GI, the gut, the gut bacteria as maybe a cause of Parkinson's. I seem and to see more and more headlines about that yeah. kind of theory, not just with Parkinson's, yeah. but with other types of disorders. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's also some stem cell uh, yeah. research that's been uh, very successful yeah. in treating it. Hmm. Yeah, Fingers the, crossed on all that. The gut bacteria, is apparently the bacteria produce a lot of byproducts, and some of the byproducts they make might be neuroactive. Yeah. So the the millions of bacteria that lie in our gut, there's part of us. It's right. part of our organ system, really. May actually be creating some chemicals that have an active role to play, positive or negative, in the brain. Hmm. So, but that man, great stuff as always, uh, Dr. Mark Westfall. Again, you can find these segments online wherever you find podcasts under the name "Let's Think on It." Of course, Dr. Mark joins us once a month here. The what is this? The second Thursday yeah. of the month, generally speaking. So. Man, great stuff. Thanks for being Thanks. here. And of course, uh, yeah, Dr. Stinson, thank you for being here. And Annette, uh, great thank to meet you. both of you. Yeah, yeah thank, of you. thank you. Very informative. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio, 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers. <laughs>